0: This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. For more information and to see more student work, visit garnetmedia.org. Hey guys! Welcome to Adventures Beyond the Coop, the podcast where we hear from former and current Gamecocks who've done something a little wild. I'm your host, Chloe Barlow. If you like going on adventures, getting outside, or just want to hear a good story, you're in luck. This is the podcast where we know sometimes you have to get lost to find yourself. Hey guys, today we get to hear from Zach Travis. Zach graduated from USC in 2020 and started his own company called Travis Medical Group. And currently he works as a traveling organ preservationist. So that's already pretty impressive, but Zach has even bigger dreams. He starts med school in July with the goal of becoming a surgeon. He's already way ahead of the curve though. In college, Zach was a capstone scholar and traveled with the program to Nicaragua on a medical mission trip. That first trip to help abroad sparked something in him, and he hasn't looked back since. He found a few mentors in college, and he since started working on building a medical clinic in Guatemala. Zach talks about what he's learned about culture in his travels abroad, how humans are a lot more alike than we think, and no, I'm not just talking about our anatomy, and how he still gets imposter syndrome from time to time. Zach's a self described type A yes man. And that energy and ambition certainly comes through when he talks about what he's passionate about. So I hope you learn a little something about what's inside of us all. Enjoy.
1: Just to give um, everybody a background, I am currently 24. Um, I went to USC, graduated in 2020. Um, And, you know, in my time at USC and afterwards, I've spent a lot of time traveling and, you know, doing things outside of. The country and in, in the state of South Carolina. Um, while at USC, um, I did two medical outreach trips, and I also um, did a research project in Europe, so a, kind of a short-stent study abroad project that I got a research grant to do, um, and then since graduating, I've been back to Latin America to do a note, to do another medical outreach trip, um, and my current job, um, I own a agency, a staffing agency for um, organ transplant preservationists. And I, you know, work with a couple of different agencies around the country. So I've been, you know, staffed and working um, around the country, different transplant centers, uh, including. I'm currently in, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, working with um, Medical College of Wisconsin at Freighter Hospital and work has taken me, um, you know, Many, many places in the u s It's been pretty incredible to have that experience and grow my network um, of physicians um, outside of work. my you know own interests and passions have taken me outside of the country um, and that is uh, I guess the reason we're we're chatting today, but um definitely been my passion for the last you know five to ten years
0: so you traveled to uh, Nicaragua with right. Dr. Patrick Hickey and the Capstone Scholars. Tell me a little bit about that
1: experience. Sure. Um, um, in high school, I was super fortunate to go to a public high school that was really like world languages and you know globally focused. Uh, as a junior, there was a program that I could apply to for a Spanish immersion program in Spain for a summer. so I lived over there with a host mom, and was full on, you know, immersed in the culture, and that really ignited my um, my travel passion and kind of got me thinking and wheels turning about how I could continue that um, while in school. Um, like you touched on there again, in my sophomore year, uh, I went on a medical outreach or medical mission trip to Nicaragua. Um, so, coming into college, I spoke pretty decent Spanish. Um, It was my minor at USC. um, So I was excited to kind of merge those two interests of mine or passions of mine being, you know, Spanish speaking, you know, Latin culture um, and medicine. So that trip to Nicaragua in 2017 was my first experience using my Spanish speaking ability um, in a medical setting. So we... In that on that first trip to Nicaragua, um, as you know, Dr. Hickey and that Capstone program have done for the last 12 years, set up three individual uh, primary care clinics in rural in rural areas around Managua, Nicaragua, um, and we were providing primary care to pretty low income, really underdeveloped communities. We're talking about you know sheet metal roofs and dirt floors, cooking with you know open flame in the house, so. Primitive ish um, living conditions and really incredible to have that experience and meet these individuals who don't know any better. And, you know, as an American, I go down there having had the experience growing up in, you know, four walls and a roof and air conditioning and heat and all that stuff, not knowing any different, and going down there and thinking, oh man, these people are so, you know, unfortunate that they're living in these conditions. But what really shocked me about being down there was the attitude of the patients and the population that we were serving was exactly the opposite. So similar to myself and my cohort, not knowing any different from, you know, our nice air conditioned and temperature controlled houses, these patients had no, no idea of any other life than the one they were living. And they were so, so, so positive um you know hey is there anything we can do to help you no i'm doing pretty good i got this cough that i've been dealing with for 6 months but you know i'm feeling pretty great and, you know okay well you cook with wood in the house you think that might be something well you know i've been cooking with wood in the house since i was born that's kind of the way we roll so you know no i'm going to kind of keep doing that is there a you know a cough medicine you can give me and i'll kind of keep living my life no idea that you know the conditions they were living in would be seen as you know unlivable in the us um so really incredible to be immersed in that population. I came back to the U.S. with a different respect for, um, for one, Nicaraguan citizens, um, and two, for the way that I approach different cultures in different situations um, more with a respect to the way I do that in a medical setting, but that really opened my eyes to um, kind of how one needs to approach different, different populations, different cultures, and the way we go about providing care to them. So it was really, really a formative experience for me.
0: What is it about medicine, the study of medicine or yourself that made you want to start going to rural areas, people who have never had this access before? Like, why were why you inspired to do that?
1: Sure, um, I think, so if we talk about medical school and the application process and the interview process and everything, every time you speak with somebody who's been through the process and has gone through an interview, you know, the question, you know, why do you want to be a doctor? What, what interests you about medicine? Or That comes up, right? So the answer they tell you not to give is because I want to help people. Because then the response to that is, oh, well, you could be, you know, a physician's assistant, or you could be a patient transporter, or you could be, there's so many other positions in the healthcare system that you could be and still help people, right? But at the base of everybody who's in healthcare and their desires and personal motives for getting into the field is because they really do want to impact and help people. The reason, you know, to answer your question directly, the reason that I felt it was necessary for me to reach outside of the U S and, you know, make an impact in a global community and specifically Nicaragua. I have always been of the opinion that if you can, you should, because nobody else will. So, in my situation, I speak Spanish. I know that I have the ability to affect the change in that community with the resources provided to me from USC and the capstone program, right? So, this opportunity has been given to me to go to Nicaragua and help these people and, yes, have an experience that will impact me and is beneficial for me in my path to medical school because it changes my opinions and my motives and things. However, with the opportunity and experience that I've been afforded, you know, growing up in the States and going to, you know, a great public high school with the opportunity to learn Spanish um, at a, you know, a high level and then attend the university where now I'm given this opportunity to travel to Nicaragua and affect the change. Back to that, you know, statement I made, here's the opportunity. If I can make a change and I have the ability to, I should because nobody else will. And you know that's the opinion that I try and keep using and motivating myself to pursue. You know, really challenging and lofty goals. Becoming a surgeon, um, it you know, it's a lot of schooling and it's a difficult road, right? But based on the opportunities that I've been given and what I know I'm capable of, having had experiences in the operating rooms, speaking Spanish or in the operating room in the U.S. or whatever, I know that i'm that i'm good at it and it's something that i really enjoy doing so if i can i should and that's something that i carried with me to nicaragua in 2017 again with me to guatemala in 2020 in this past year 22 in guatemala i know i have the ability to speak spanish and i know that i can be a vessel for change in those communities so i should be um it's something that really keeps me motivated when i get into the 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 trenches of studying and the trenches of it gets challenging. You're in positions where you've got 10 hour studying stints that you got to go through. But if you can make a change, right, and bring the stories of others to light and put them in a position where they can be heard, nobody else is going to do that in your way. So there's no reason why you shouldn't pursue that goal. And that's the kind of attitude that I'll try and carry with me. And I think that it's been beneficial thus far.
0: Do you think taking on a leadership role in your first trip, like you did in Nicaragua, do you think that gave you the confidence to continue to take on those roles and pursue more and be as ambitious as you are?
1: Sure, um, I, as many others do, frequently go through bouts of imposter syndrome where I'm sitting here looking at myself and like, wow, people are trusting me to do this and. I'm the one that's supposed to make the decisions for these people. It's like, wow, I really pulled the wool over these guys' eyes. This is bad, but I definitely think that it takes a lot of uh, understanding yourself to be a, a good leader, and that's something that I've, um, you know, come to realize over the last two years, really. And frequently, you know, in college, I would get put in a position where you know I'm in a leadership role, and I would think to myself how how did I get here did I did I talk people into believing that I'm the one for this job when I really may not be and I think that that first role that leadership role that I was given in Nicaragua is definitely something that pushed me to continue to pursue um, you know leadership roles and it you know rolls back to that first statement I made I think that I have the ability to lead effectively And I know from having had experience and being afforded opportunities to be in leadership positions, that I'm good at it. Um, And I don't say that from a, like, I don't mean to sound egotistical or, or, or narcissistic in that way. I mean that I've been fortunate enough to be put in positions where I can take advantage of a leadership opportunity. Having had those experiences and come out on the successful side of things. I know that I should continue to pursue those things because I'm good at it. And I think that the you know, to answer your question directly, that trip to Nicaragua in 2017 was definitely something that sparked that in me. And like you said, um, I've continued to do things like that. But <clears throat> I think that it comes with the territory. Um, I know that I'm a very type A person and I like to have an effect on the way things are gonna roll out for me. And being in a leadership position allows me to do that. Um, And I've definitely become um, better at leadership as things have, you know, unfolded for me in the last five years, um, in the last two years since graduating, becoming more gracious and learning to listen to, you know, individuals who you're responsible for and leading with, you know, a friendly authority. Um, Something I picked up in University 101. I taught that class for two years, junior and senior year college. And some of my co-teachers were very, very good at being a leader, but seeming coming from like a the way I like to approach it was like a big brother perspective. So I'm not, you know, too much older than the, the students that I'm teaching. I'm you know a year or two older. So coming at it from an angle of, you know, I'm your older brother in this scenario. This is what I would do if I were you, instead of leading as like an authoritarian, is the way I like to kind of approach those situations. So I think that university 101 and my Nicaragua trip in 2017 were definitely, you know, the, the sparks that lit the flame for me to continue pursuing, you know, lofty, um, you know, goals and leadership positions as I, you know, moved on further through my education career.
0: Yeah. And continue to pursue those goals you did because then in 2020 you went to Guatemala. So tell me how you saw your leadership develop in that trip where you actually were in charge of co-teaching 36 people.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was a really cool experience because I was able to, you know, having been an assistant or co-leader, whatever you want to call it, whatever title you want to give it in 2017, being able to go back to Nicaragua, or to Latin America, to Guatemala this time in 2020 and be responsible for the build-up to the trip this time. So I'm the one making the lesson plans with my two other co-leaders, Sophie and Christina, and I'm the ones, you know, we're the ones who are. Evaluating applications to pick our cohort and really putting together the trip with the help of Dr. Hickey, yes, but putting the trip together um, the way we wanted it to be developed, and it was really, really cool for us to be able to, you know, write the curriculum and teach the class the way we wanted to, because of the experience that we had had previously, all three of us had been students on the trip previously before leading, excuse me. So being able to work together to lead that trip and see, you know, once we were in country in Guatemala, you know, see the things that we had taught in the classroom come to light in in clinic and in country in practice with patients sitting in front of our students, you know, talking about, hey, we might run into this sensitive situation or we have, you know, this endemic disease that's popular in this part of the world or we have, you know, in Nicaragua, we experienced this. And sometimes the language barrier is different. And Nicaraguan Spanish is different than Guatemalan Spanish. And you might want to use this phrasing. And to see our students have that realization that we had had, you know, three years ago was incredibly rewarding, one. And two, really, really cool from a selfish standpoint to say, look, I taught that student that information and here it is being used. Um, Really, really cool. Um, And I can't thank the university enough for putting me in that position and giving me the opportunity to have that you know, experience myself.
0: You couldn't have done this all by yourself. You had a mentor in college. Tell me a little bit about your mentor.
1: Sure. Yeah, I had a couple. Um, uh, I met Dr. Hickey when I was a senior in high school. So 2015, 2016 is when I met Dr. Hickey. Um, I came to USC on like an admitted students day and had been accepted into the Capstone program and went to, you know, as many students do, that big capstone open house where principal speaks up in front of the group, and this is what capstone's all about, and you're going to have to do your, you know, your personal challenge, and you're going to have to do your, you know, blah 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 blah. And then towards the end of the meeting, um, Dr. Hickey says, "So for the last, you know, at that point it was for the last eight years I've been leading this medical mission trip to Nicaragua, and if you're healthcare interested." you should really consider applying for this trip. And I'm kind of slouching in my seat, thinking about, oh boy, personal challenge and, you know, academic goals and keeping a three, five, blah, blah. blah. He says, Nicaragua, I'm like, oh, wow, this is exciting. So I perk up. After the meeting, I went up to him, introduced myself, said, hey, my name is Zach. Really interested in coming on your trip. Uh, you know, fast forward eight months. I'm in Colombia, moving into my dorm and Dr. Mickey is carrying my roommate's piano up the 13 flights of stairs to, <laughs> to our room in the 13th floor. And I reintroduced myself to him. and said, hey, do you remember me? I was it's like, no, I have no idea who you are. I like, "Great." great. Um, ended up meeting with Dr. Hickey uh, as part of the one-on-one counseling that students are required to go to as a, as a capstone student. And he was my, my capstone mentor, right? So um, we had multiple meetings a semester and really started to develop a good you know, working relationship. Um, and... From there, Dr. Hickey kind of took a liking to me because I was so, I don't know, I don't want to say assertive or aggressive, but I was so, I guess, excited about the possibility of going to Nicaragua, becoming active in the healthcare community in Colombia. Just, I'm, I'm pretty high energy as it is, as hopefully comes across in this interview and this podcast, but when it comes to something that I'm really passionate about, it's, it's infectious. And I think that kind of translated well to our conversations with Dr. Hickey and um, he was able to guide me into a uh, a position in the operating room working with Dr. Parker. And through one of his classes, I met Dr. Parker um, through a course project, interviewed him for the project, and then ended up shadowing Dr. Parker um, and worked with Dr. Parker in the operating room for all four years of my undergrad career. So by junior and senior year, I was scrubbing in on cases and working with Dr. Parker. I rearranged my um, my class schedule, so that way I was able to go to the operating room with Dr. Parker for the first case of the day and leave, you know, around 2, 3 p.m. and start my classes Monday, Wednesday at 3 p.m. and work until, you know, 8 o'clock that night in class and then do it all again next week just so I could be in the operating room, um, you know, surrounded by surgery one and two. Dr. Parker is an incredible, incredible surgeon and man, and being able to learn from him was, you know, formative in me pursuing a career in surgery. Um, So, Dr. Hickey and Dr. Parker are, you know, two of my biggest influences and mentors um, to this point in in my medical career, my my academic career, and they actually were both able to join me in Nicaragua in 2020 and again in Guatemala in 22. So really incredible for me to be able to have these people who I regard so highly, um, you know, working with me, you know, as stakeholders and as equals almost in this environment down in Guatemala. Um, And Dr. Parker and I now are pursuing setting up a surgical clinic in Guatemala to continue to bring down um, surgeons over the next, you know, hopefully indefinitely. Uh, My goal is to be, you know, an attending surgeon in, you know, the next 10 years and be bringing down medical students and residents with me to this clinic that we're building down in Guatemala. So we're hopeful that over the next couple months, we can lock things down and continue to bring down surgical specialties. To you know, serve these communities who don't have access to them, and you know your question, mentors who have gotten me to this point. I think that one, it's incredibly important for for students to be in search of a mentor early on. I know it's kind of challenging, and especially with the way things unfolded with COVID and being virtual, it made it even more challenging for people to reach out and meet professors and meet mentors. But if you can really keep that as a priority and make an effort to make introductions, network yourself, be a little step out of your comfort zone. It's going to be, you know, awkward and uncomfortable to, Hey, my name's Zach. I really like your work. You know, what opportunity, can we go grab a cup of coffee or, you know, what, what are you doing in your lab this week? Or, you know, of work they've done in the past, using that as a, a key to conversation is a really good foot in the door to start a relationship with a professional relationship with a with a mentor that you you never know where it's going to take you. I mean I'm I'm incredibly fortunate to have met these two um, these two men who have guided me to the point where I am now. But when I made those introductions, you know, five, five, six years ago, I had no idea that you know six years down the road I'd be developing a surgical clinic in Guatemala with Dr. Parker and Dr. Hickey. Right. So it's just it just goes to show how far relationships can take you. Um, and I think that it's something that I, if were if I was asked, you know, what is a piece of advice you'd give to a you know a Gamecock student now? I think that's probably top of my list is make make connections, network, and you know, build relationships. You never know how far they'll take you.
0: Speaking of those relationships, you and Dr. Parker just went down to Guatemala in March, right? Yeah. I'm curious, how has your attitude and the way you work changed in when you go abroad since the first time you went, you know, now you're graduated, you have your own company, what changes have you seen in how you practice and also maybe just how you are when you travel?
1: That's a good question. I think the biggest thing for me is, is humility and, and gratitude. Um, kind of the things I touched on in my response to your first question regarding, um, like what we did in Nicaragua and how things unfolded and the way patients and the population we were serving knew no different than the life they were living, really opened my eyes to, okay, I'm going down to these places. This is their home. This is their place. And I'm a visitor. And regardless of what I know about medicine or about, you know, healthcare or patient care, it's their culture. And I can offer suggestions, but I am not the end all be all intelligent individual in this situation. And I think that that's translated to other parts of my life. So I travel for work, right? So I live in Charleston, South Carolina full time. I'm in Milwaukee for, you know, the last two weeks. And I fly up here and I meet people at the hospital that I'm working at this week. Five years ago, if I was in that situation coming up here, I might be like, all right, so this is the way we do it in Charleston. This is how I'd like to do it here. How can I help? This is the way I'm going to, you know, do my job. Whereas now I come into a situation and I'm like, hey, I'm here to help. How do you guys do things? And how can I adapt the way that I operate to best fit y'all's program? And I think that's incredibly important. I think humility and gratitude are the big two words I would use to describe my outlook. um, The kind of the way that I practice medicine and, you know, just socialization. I've definitely become a lot more um, relaxed in my approach to different situations while traveling and I think that it's been beneficial to me and it allows me to you know broaden my network and meet really really cool people and not um, not offend them right off the rip right I come in as this great white hope from South Carolina going down to Guatemala and here I know this because I've done this it's not the way to approach things and I think that I've definitely learned that from my mentors one and from two being in positions where I've seen it in practice I've seen other individuals or even myself, be a little bit too assertive in a situation and it's kind of unfolded negatively And the way the patient responds is not not what you would be hoping for. Um, and I think that I'll continue to be more humble as I go on, as I learn more and I have more experiences. And I think that um, hopefully it'll benefit me as a, as a future practitioner. That's
0: a really beautiful place to get to with your outlook, that humility yeah. and gratitude. But I guess following up on that, As a doctor, it's really important to have that like doctor-patient connection, right? Um, Bedside manner, I guess. So how do you connect with patients who come from a completely different background in a different culture?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, It's challenging. You're almost poking and prodding for a common ground when you're having conversations with patients, right? So you never want to come across as this depending on the situation, you know, if you're delivering bad news, that maybe the way you want to be is, is sterile and, you know, emotionless. Um, however, most of the time when we're dealing with patients, we want to be developing a relationship that makes our patient trust us. And even if you don't have common ground, listening and being a really empathetic and compassionate provider is the way that I think is the best to approaching situations like that. And I've learned that from working with physicians like Dr. Parker, right? He is a surgeon and as you can imagine, he frequently deals with situations where he doesn't have common ground or he's having to deliver bad news, just situations that you wouldn't necessarily want to be in if you were going out seeking to have a conversation with a random person that day. And um, I think the biggest experience that's taught me how to have conversations like that is Working with Dr. Parker while he does um, cases on inmates. So Dr. Parker will do um, cases and frequently holds clinics at um, prisons, and will do uh, surgeries on patients who are, you know, on prison healthcare. And those patients will, you know, come to the hospital like any other patient. The only difference is they're handcuffed to the bed and they have two guards watching them. So as you can imagine. Dr. Parker, a successful surgeon living in Columbia, South Carolina, doesn't have a whole lot in common with somebody who may have been incarcerated for the last 15 years, who's dealing with, you know, a ruptured appendix or a hernia or something, right? So listening to the way that he treats these patients like any other patient, and you listen to what they have to say, and you're compassionate, and you're understanding of their situation, Regardless of what your true feelings might be about their situation or about what they're saying, listening and making the patient feel heard um, and having them trust you is the biggest you know milestone in developing that bedside manner as you put it and I think that translates to travel and culture outside of healthcare as well I mean wouldn't you think like going into uh, another country, the likelihood that you have Connections with the people you're interacting with is lower than it would be if you were, you know, walking down the street in Colombia and you meet somebody at, you know, Carolina Cafe over a coffee. It's a much different culture, much different situation. So, being able to be a really good listener, being empathetic and compassionate, and listening more than you speak in these situations, I think has been the key to um, me having success in one, you know, cultural experiences with strangers, and two, developing really good, like, trust amongst patients and other healthcare providers.
0: I mean, as you put it, it can be really hard to find those cultural connections of people you've never met before across the globe. But I mean, something I really like to highlight is, um, though we may all come from different backgrounds, there's a certain humanity that connects us all. And I think as a surgeon, you know, definitely humans are a lot more similar than we think. I mean, our anatomy is just one way. But I'm curious in your travels meeting all these different people, what other similarities maybe other than physical have you observed?
1: Good question. Um, I think when you really get into nitty-gritty conversations with strangers, you spend, especially working in the healthcare scenario, we're spending you know, hours upon hours upon hours working together. So we're not just meeting over a coffee, having a two hour conversation and we're on our way. We're, you know, we're in the trenches together working, especially in my current role. There are cases where, you know, I'm working for 36 hours straight. So the individuals who I'm working with may have been strangers 36 hours ago, but we're best friends now. And we're talking about everything. And I think the major, the major thing that I think connects people globally, you mentioned humanity and I think that that's a good way to put it. I think the, underlying goals and ideals of individuals are way more similar than we might think. And I think the political climate in the U.S. currently would lead many to believe that there's a left and there's a right and there aren't many common grounds in between. And, you know, we're very different. And those people grew up this way and I grew up this way and there's no way we could be similar. And that translates abroad as well. We're American. And we go somewhere else and we're in Guatemala and they're Guatemalan. They grew up one way and I grew up another. Well, it's not really that cut and dry. I've come to learn. And I think that individuals really do want the best for each other. And there is kind of like a help your brother, help your sister mentality uh, globally. And I think that is really highlighted in healthcare because I'm working with, you know, other individuals who are in the position to be serving, same as I am, and we're in that position because we have the desire to help and have the desire to provide healthcare. And when you really like get into conversation and speak about, you know, why we're here and how things are unfolding, all of that noise and left and right, and American in Guatemalan or American and Nicaraguan or Ukrainian and Russian or whoever kind of gets put aside. And when you're face to face with somebody, whether it's virtually or you know in person, you kind of come to realize that. I want the best for you, Chloe, you want the best for me. And we're kind of all part of this global community. And it takes those conversations and those connections and those one-on-ones to really have that understanding. Um, and that's what I really wish more people would take advantage of. I know it was a challenge during COVID and we're kind of coming out of that now, but for people to get out of their own backyard and have you know one-on-one conversations like you and I are right now makes the world of difference in understanding how similar we really are. Um, and I, I, that's like, I, I, don't, I don't wanna get preachy, but I really think more people should take advantage of travel to have that opportunity to have one-on-one conversations with somebody who would have been a stranger had they not been you know, in that coffee shop at that time, in that place on that day. Um,
0: so you might've already said, it, it's kind of an overarching theme of this episode, but if you could put it in a few sentences, what have you learned from all your travels and your experiences abroad and working with these mentors that you've brought back into your practice now working uh, domestically?
1: I think humanity and, and connection are the themes that I like to include when I'm working with patients and it's challenging for me because most of the time I'm working with patients who are organ donors. So as you can imagine, they're not doing much, much talking with me. Um, but I think that the ability to connect and have, you know, conversations that don't necessarily pertain to work or science or healthcare and have conversations about life, about the weather, about somebody's kids, about what you're doing this weekend, and show compassion and listen and really say, you know, I'm here to listen and I wanna hear what you have to say um, opens doors. And I think that if we're talking about medicine, there's a really big push in healthcare. And when it comes to applying to medical school for numbers to be the factor that gets you in. And I think that what's lost in that style of interview and application process is that human connection there needs to be more of an emphasis placed on an individual's ability to network and connect and have conversations and i think that the value in that is way greater than it's currently you know valued at when it comes to post-grad interviews and programs Um, if i were to make a change in the way things are done i would place the interview as the highest point grabber when it comes to to, you know application processes because i think the ability to have a meaningful conversation, listen to somebody and have a connection is valuable. And that's what I'd like to see more, especially in healthcare, is less robots who are capable of making perfect scores on you know, exams and doing really, really well in the classroom, but are having a challenging time working with patients and developing connections and being human when it comes to the clinic. Um, that's definitely... The overarching theme that I've taken from my travels and being abroad and working with mentors like, like Pat, Dr. Hickey, and and Hart, Dr. Parker, um, those are the things that I've definitely carried with me and will continue to do so as I you know move on in my education.
0: So what comes next? I know you're going to med school. Where else do you want to go?
1: Good question. Everywhere. Um, I don't really think that there's a stop for me. I'm kind of the guy who the university says, you know, don't be like this kid when it comes to club fair sign up. I say yes to everything and then figure out where the chips fall. Um, I am planning on going back to Guatemala in October. I'm bringing uh, Hart Dr. Parker down with me. Um, and we're going to be going to visit a couple of the clinics we were in, in March. Um, school starts for me in July. So, I'm going to keep my business running while I'm in school, and hopefully I'll be able to kind of take short-term weekend contracts um, and still travel to different transplant centers across the U.S. Um, my goal is to develop a cohort of kids at Greenville Medical School to bring them with me over the next couple of years down to Guatemala to show them and give them the experience that I've had over the last couple trips that I've made down there um, and grow that network. Um, each individual has their own connections, who they may be able to bring down and benefit and grow our program over the next five years. So what's next for me directly is school in July. And then uh, developing this surgery clinic is really where my passion lies. And I think that that's something that hopefully I can kind of let my legacy sit on. Um, And that's after I go on my little fly fishing journey out west this June. So that's what I've got going on.
0: Man of many interests and passions. Yeah,
1: yeah, too many probably, but it's it keeps me busy. Do you
0: ever consider like Doctors Without Borders
1: or? Yeah, it's huge for me. Um, I would love to do that. It's just the time commitment. So I think there's different options for Doctors Without Borders. I think the most common pathway for um, Doctors Without Borders to become involved is like a two-year commitment. I really, 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 really want to do an abroad rotation during medical school. So the way medical school works is you have um, your first two years are in the classroom, your didactic years. So you're learning the nitty gritty science behind, you know, why the body works the way it does. Your third and fourth year, you get into the clinic. So you're getting a little bit more of a hands-on experience and you're rotating through different specialties. So for the first month, you might be working with primary care and family medicine. The next month you might be working in the operating room. The next month you might be doing emergency medicine. So you rotate through to get a different taste for how different specialties work. And there are options for medical students to apply to do abroad or away rotations, where you do that you know, one month block of your emergency medicine rotation in Spain or in London or in Guatemala or whatever. My absolute dream would be to develop my surgical clinic in Guatemala enough that we could accept rotating medical students and get it accredited, so that way they would be able to use that as their you know surgery rotation. Um, that's a lofty you know five ten year goal, uh, but I'm hoping to find a program similar to that that already exists for me to do that during medical school because um, it's challenging for medical students to be able to travel. But I'll figure out a way to do it. I've done it this far, and I think I'll continue to
0: until you make it now.
1: Yeah. It's right. crazy
0: that you've gotten this far and you're just about to start med school. Like that's that's insane.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I uh I wouldn't have been able to do it without the support system that I've got. I'm really, really, really fortunate. My my parents have been um, you know, will support you in any endeavor you want as long as you're, you know, you're staying out of jail, you're not doing drugs and you're staying on, you know, on the right side of the street. So I've been really incredibly fortunate that my parents have been supportive in that way, and then meeting the mentors that I did early on. Um, you know, yes, I have had a big role in putting myself in the position where I'm at, but the opportunities that have presented to me that I've then capitalized on, I wouldn't have known about without you know mentorship. So, thank you. It's a very nice compliment of you to you know say that. But I think that credit needs to go where credit is due, and that goes to my parents and my my mentors. So
0: there's that imposter syndrome.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I it, it sneaks up on me out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I this isn't me. I'm here. It's really nice that the people that put me here, but uh, I didn't do this. I'm just kind of sitting here, pretty.
0: I don't know why they picked me, but I'm here now. Right. So. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, it's my feeling every day I wake up.
0: Me too. <laughs> so this is a question I always like to ask to wrap it up. What advice would you give freshman year you?
1: Oh boy, Um, freshman year me was dorky, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and had way too much ambition. Um, I think I would tell freshman me to relax. I think especially in the, you know, pre-med healthcare mindset, there's such a pressure cooker of you need to be doing this, your peer is doing this, this, and this, and you're not. So you can't sleep tonight. You need to be sending emails, finding mentors, doing research, blah, blah, blah. And it's not unique to pre-med. People who are looking to get into post-secondary programs, people who are looking to get into really competitive fields, applying for competitive jobs, whatever, there's always that I'm not doing enough feeling. And I think especially as a freshman, you know, I can sit here on the other side of things and tell freshmen to relax. But if I was giving advice to myself or to others in similar positions to to me, slowing down, relaxing, still saying yes to everything and anything, because that's where I, you know, that's how I got to where I am. But stressing less about the little stuff, stressing less about grades and having experiences that are more valuable than, you know, making a 99 over a 93 on that exam is what I think would have been really beneficial for my mental health and for others in my position. So hopefully others um, who this podcast reaches will take that to heart and relax and slow down and enjoy the ride as opposed to stressing over the little stuff.
0: I don't think I've been a relaxed day in my life, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm telling you, it's not all worth it. Chill out. You'll get to where you need to go.
0: Can you believe a traveling surgeon just told you grades aren't everything? That's definitely what I needed to hear right before exams this week. But honestly, the man's got a point. Sometimes all we need is to take a chill pill. In the words of Zach, we should focus less on everything going on around us and more on connecting with what's in front of us, showing compassion and listening. So thanks again to Zach for taking time away from saving lives to bestow a little advice on us. And thanks to you, listeners. As we near the end of our first season, I just wanted to say good luck on exams and happy almost summer. I've got to get back to studying. But come back next week for an extra special final episode. And remember, you better be going outside. You better hug a tree. And most of all, you better be good. Bye. Before we go... Our music is Bad Nostalgia by Anthem of Rain, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Public License.